so mates of course plenty to discuss on this tuesday we're making our way through the week want to welcome you to fox News black report we're going to follow the latest on the new law named after none other than Nicki Minaj and the homeowners who made more money on their home sale after removing all traces of being black. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm the Cordelia Corte, plus the alarming new numbers of autism diagnosis in the black community and the nine-year-old girl who's gone from being bullied to being a best-selling author. They're the stories that impact our people. We're going to bring you our news, our views, and our voice in the big conversation today. Let's head to Kansas City, Missouri, where an 85-year-old white man by the name of Andrew D. Lester has been charged with two crimes for shooting 16-year-old Ralph Yarl, a black teenager who went to the incorrect house to pick up his siblings. Assault in the first degree, which carries a life sentence, and armed criminal activity are the charges. Yarl was shot through a glass door, injuring his head and arm. The Clay County prosecutor said the victim did not meet the threshold and that the case is racial. Social media and Kansas City residents, of course, protested the shooting. Yarl is healing at home after being discharged. The suspect's arrest warrant contains a $200,000 bond. The people have spoken, and it looks like uh, prosecutors have redirected and uh, brought this man up on charges. And what a difference the people make. You mm -hmm might remember there were a number of protests outside right. the home of the perpetrator uh, and you know Benjamin Crump you know tweeted he represents the family by the way he tweeted you know that uh, shortly after uh, uh, the president had reached out to uh, the family mm -hmm. uh, it was announced that the prosecutor you know was moving forward with charges mm -hmm. and so when people take notice particularly people in high places and ordinary people in community mm -hmm. when we when we call out injustice mm -hmm. uh, you know folks prosecuting these cases uh, have no choice but to pay attention and so I'm glad they did. Yeah and we want to make mention that Ben Crump is also uh, on the case as well. A lot of celebrities uh, notably mm -hmm. Viola Davis and, and a plethora of others voiced uh, their concerns and their demands for justice across social media as well. The family I do believe the aunt of the young victim uh, has set up a GoFundMe uh, account as hundreds of thousands of dollars maybe even more is going to be needed for healing and recovery and just ongoing care uh, as this young man continues to heal at home. Good news that he has been uh, discharged and he is continuing his recovery, but uh, prayers up for that continued healing and just the, the, the tragedy and the heaviness that this family is experiencing and this long walk to justice. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. and while we think about the individual trauma that he's experiencing, we can't forget the collective trauma that black kids across the country are experiencing just bearing witness to mm -hmm. this. On Monday, Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost announced that eight Akron police officers will not be charged in the fatal shooting of 25-year-old black man Jalen Walker, who fled a traffic stop last year. Walker was, not in a, was shot in a parking lot wearing a ski mask after fleeing his car, ignoring officers, and reaching for his waistband. Now, his driver's seat held a revolver, loaded magazine, and a wedding band. Since Walker fired first, the state investigation ruled that the cops were justified in using force. Walker's family branded it a horrific and senseless shooting, while police union officials stated that they thought there was an immediate threat of serious harm. You know, this took a, a long time for folks to, you know, 
come to some sort of a conclusion. A lot of facts here, you know, him firing first, and, and but then, you know, does that dismiss the 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 act or the uh, claim, if you will, of excessive force? I mean, you know, are officers, you know, are they charged to de-escalate? De and then, you know, at the same time, they want to save their lives and protect themselves and go home to their family uh, at night. So a real um, gray uh, case here, and uh, you know, a lot of people are understanding why charges are, are not being filed. And then, of course, you know, when you when you think of the the overall weight of cases like this and us not getting justice when justice is clear, clearly deserved, uh, it just kind of muddy the muddies the waters, and it's just really unfortunate. It's a case by case situation, and I think uh, they were leaning heavy mm -hmm. on the fact that he did uh, charge his weapon first. Well, I'm definitely you know I'm, I'm of those Discharge. folks that are raising their hand and saying, well, wait a minute, but they fired 40 times. Mm -hmm. There were over 40 bullets that were found in his body. Yeah. And, you know, how is that not excessive force, right? Even if he shot first, if he was fleeing the scene, you know, how does that justify eight police officers, eight, firing off 40 shots. And so if, if that kind of force is lawful, if that kind of force is within the police training manual, training. then they, they may need to go back and take a second look well, at that. Well, that's what we've been talking about. That just there's, it just doesn't seem seem like it matches you know the the alleged crime. Yeah, let's go to Minnesota now, where the court of appeals has upheld former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, uh, his murder, second murder degree, second degree murder conviction that is, and 22 and a half year sentence in the killing of George Floyd. This happened back in May of 2020. Now Chauvin's legal team had previously requested a review of the case, citing pretrial publicity, but a three panel judge. A three-judge panel dismissed the request, stating that Chauvin received a fair trial and crossed the line by using unreasonable force. Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison praised the court's decision, saying that it shows no one is above the law and no one is beneath it as well. You know, Courtney, when I saw this case, I thought to myself, really, dude? <laughs> really? You know, the, the, the due process that he got uh, afforded a level of respect mm -hmm. and dignity to him that he did not afford to George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And shame on him and his team for continuing to try and find holes in what was a fair prosecution. You have to take my word for it. Three-judge panel uh, just said that. But shame on him because, you know, these sorts of headlines must make it a little bit more difficult for the Floyd family to begin to heal and move forward. And so, you know, really, dude, like, just serve your sentence. And I don't think, or at least I don't remember Chauvin uh, offering up any any apology. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when him and his team keeps at it and keeps at it, it just it just lessens any remorse that he may have expressed. And it, it, it sounds like a very prideful way to go about still not holding yourself accountable uh, for what has happened and what continues to happen the, the ripple out effect so it's to me I don't think you're going to hear the last from Chauvin and his team I think they're going to fight to the to the very end if 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 there is an end for them um, and I don't ever really feel like we'll, we'll hold he'll will hold himself accountable and thank goodness for the the conviction and the sentencing because that's that's at the end of the day what shows the accountability mm, you're right you're not right. gonna get it from him mm -mm, you ain't well Oklahoma governor Kevin Stitt is asking for the resignation of four county officials, including Sheriff Kevin Clardy, after an audio recording released by McCurtain Gazette News appeared to capture them making racist comments about black people and discussing hitmen and where two holes were dug. Take a listen. 
by his by your job. I heard I heard the other day he said, I heard ten or twelve people going to the sheriff. I said, let's get twenty. They don't have a clue what they're getting into. Oh it, yeah, Not because it's age. It's a, but, but everybody I'm gonna tell you something. It was back in the day when the like when Alan Marshall take a blackjack, whoop their and throw them in the cell, I'd run for Sure. Yeah. Well, it's not like that no more. I know. Take them down <laughs> on a mud creek and hang them up with the rope. Yeah. But you can't do that. Thing about it, they got more rights than we got. Ooh, tell us how you really feel. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it said the comments wow. have no place for such hateful rhetoric in the state of Oklahoma, especially by those that serve to represent the community through their respective office. You know, it, it, no surprise here. I mean, you know, folks feel the way they feel. It's just like with, you know, now with all this technology mm -hmm. where you can sneak in a cell phone or record something, whether it be video or audio such as this, and you really get to hear it in real time as it was expressed, you know, just puts an exclamation point on us kind of knowing and sensing, you know, and feeling what people uh, are, are feeling and saying in private, mm -hmm. you know, and now it's become public and, you know, this should fuel our fire to make sure we keep you know abreast of what's being put out here the evidence the proof and go back and get on code and continue to fight because this is the way people really feel mm -hmm. you know in their homes in their private in their downtime and those and those people don't deserve to serve in public office mm -hmm. did they not learn anything from the disgraced LA City Council members remember when no. that audio recording was leaked through the LA Times and and, and other news sites mm -hmm. I mean you know this kind of, of vitriol is so toxic Mm -hmm. for our communities, it's so toxic for our democracy. How are people supposed to have confidence yeah. that their elected officials are doing right by them when they're talking like that? They're on audio talking about engaging hitmen. Yeah. They're, they're on audio talking about black people disparagingly, talking about journalists disparagingly. Yeah. And there are good men and women, you know, on the side of justice. And, and I would just hate for these bad apples, uh, it seems to be a, a lot of bad apples, to just spoil the whole bunch, the, you know, that old adage. And so I'm hoping that the good folks, you know, clear and get rid of these bad apples. And so, you know, they don't have to handle the reputation and the backlash of, of their uh, partners and, and uh, folks doing things of this, of this nature. All right, we're going to move on. Uh, on Monday, Ohio Republican Rep Jim Jordan, a Trump supporter, held a House Judiciary Committee hearing in New York City criticizing Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's polices. Uh, the GOP-led committee called Bragg's tactics pro-crime, anti-victim, and increase NYC violence crime. Uh, Bragg's office showed that Manhattan crime has decreased, contradicting Jordan's claim that Bragg is just prosecuting Trump. The DA saw the hearing as another attack on his Trump criminal prosecution. Mayor Adams slammed the hearing saying the focus should be on gun legislation and shutting down the iron pipeline. Staying in New York, uh, New York Representative George Santos has introduced a new bill called the Menage Act aimed at increasing public confidence in new vaccines by establishing a development period. The bill is named after rapper Nicki Minaj, who expressed her skepticism towards the COVID-19 vaccine in a series of tweets last year. Santos also announced his plans to seek re-election after facing calls for his resignation. He previously made false claims about his education, his mother's whereabouts on 9-11, and Jewish heritage. Santos is also under FBI investigation for allegedly pocketing $3,000 meant for a pet surgery charity. 
Oh wow, George Santos in the news. So are we really gonna are, are we really Again. gonna take this seriously here? Are we are we taking this seriously? I know it's on us to report it and talk about it, and I think the significance is that it's being named after uh, Nicki Minaj. Uh, dig a little deeper on that. Yeah. However, Santos and his track record, if you take a look at the backlog there. Eh. I mean, I think the bigger question is, are the New York voters in his district going to take him seriously? Are you going to reelect this guy? Really? You know, I mean, you know, I don't know. They put him there. Look, look <laughs> Dr. Maya Angelou said mm. when people show you who they really are, Trust believe them the first Trust time. And that. so are these New York voters going to fall for the okie doke again? You know, or are they going to track a different course and elect a different representative? It wouldn't surprise me. I don't know. I think people are looking for better. And sometimes, you know, they misconstrue that with different. And sometimes hmm. the different isn't always, doesn't end up being the better. You know what I mean? Let's go to uh, Boston where Kenya's uh, Evans Shabet won the Boston Marathon for the second year in a row, uh, leaving the world record holder and two-time Olympic gold medalist Elude Ilu, uh, Ilu, uh, Kipchoge behind. Shabet wasn't focused on beating Kipchoge. Rather, he was determined to conquer the course. Shabet's time was the sixth fastest in course history. Gabrielle Gay of Tanzania took second place, and Kenyan Benson Capruto finished third. Helen Obiri, a two-time Olympic silver medalist in the 5,000 meters, won the women's race. The Boston Marathon is the uh, world's oldest and most prestigious marathon. And thank you, um, uh, Miranda, for that uh, for that read. <laughs> All those magnificent names. Right, right. Let me let me just say, Kenya. Kenya's, they can run, honey. Kenya is gonna win. They can run. They always gonna they, show up and win. They were they were built to conquer. All locked down. Boston Marathon. Yeah, oh it's my in their goodness. blood. The long distance run is in their blood. If you've ever read up on it, you know, historically and tribally yeah. speaking, it is in their blood. You're not going to beat a Kenyan. Maybe a Kenyan might be the Kenyan, yeah. but you are not going to be a Kenyan, not long distance. And I just also really appreciate their attitude. I mean, yeah. you know, my dad used to say growing up that your attitude will determine your altitude. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, the fact that they didn't see it as a competition against one another mm -hmm. as much as it was a competition to conquer the course. Yeah. I just think it's not just that they're somehow physically built to win these marathons, mm -hmm. but I think you know, the mindset, mm -hmm. you know, of folks coming out of this part of the world uh, when it comes to these long distance runs, I think that's worthy of future yeah, and, study. And it's a lot of pride when you when you take a look at that country, these long distance, these 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 awarded uh, long distance uh, runners are like the MJ of their country, the Michael Jordans of their country. They are very well celebrated, very well respected. And it's a big deal to, to come and win in America because a lot of them still see America as America, even yeah. though some of us see it a different kind away yeah. and it's still a, a big thing to come and win especially something as prestigious as the Boston Marathon. Well congratulations to them. Yeah. Up next whitewashing your home to make a dollar. We'll tell you just how much more one couple made after removing everything black from their home. You're watching Fox Souls Black Report. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fox Hills Black Report. An Ohio black family discovered a $60,000 discrepancy between two home appraisals and replaced all black identifying things with white owned things to get 
a fair evaluation. That's right. Their second appraisal increased by $92,000. Mm. Black properties are valued 23% less than those in non-black neighborhoods, regardless of quality of feature, quality or features. According to the president of the National Association of Real Estate Brokers, the shortage of black appraisers is a major concern. As it should be. Now, the Biden administration's action plan to advance property appraisal and valuation equity addresses this. I mean, we've, we have reported on so many stories mm -hmm. where, you know, this whitewashing phenomenon mm -hmm. is really a thing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and we know that, you know, under President Biden, uh, the Department of Housing and Urban Development um, is trying to do something about it. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, to the point that was made uh, in the story, we need more black appraisers. Right. And so to our soulmates who are watching, you know, that are thinking about a career in real estate, consider becoming an appraiser because, you know, that can make a huge difference in terms of increasing black wealth. I mean, think about how many dollars, you know, uh, black sellers, uh, you know, lose out on, you know, because an appraiser, you know, saw family photos or art and made some assumptions about, you know, who they are or about their neighborhood yeah. and how safe it is. But isn't that an argument or concern or narrative across the board? We need more black doctors. We need more black appraisers. We need more black politicians. Look at the situation down uh, in Jackson, Mississippi, where they're trying to throw things back to, to the Jim Crow days and there's like one black, you know, uh, legislator uh, in that conversation. Conversation. Mm -hmm. So this is a, a, an across-the-board uh, type of a, a conversation, and you know it just proves the point that in every area, in every lane, there is a struggle. You know, no matter what what you're addressing in your life, there is a struggle, and and you just have to stay vigilant. Yep, that's what the movement for racial justice is all about. Yeah. Palm Springs City Council formally apologizes for displacing black and Mexican-American families in the 1960s. Former presidents, uh, former residents argue that the city owes them over $2.3 billion for the harm caused by their displacement. Now, the city is considering reparations for a group of individuals and is seeking legal advice. A, repara a reparations consultant will be involved in determining the compensation. The uh, Agua Caliente Band of Kahula Indians Reservation permitted the city to clear the land in Section 14, which is now under scrutiny. Families filed a tort claim alleging similar similarities between recent tragedies and violence that devastated Black Wall Street in Tulsa over a century ago. You know, these fights are so offensive. I mean, because it's, it's, it's like a, a fight for land that initially already belonged to people who are now fighting to, to give it back. And then you have the folks who own the land saying, okay, well, you know, we'll give you a piece of this or, or we'll give it back or, or we, we'll reconsider when you stole it in the first place. When you talk about, you know, indigenous folks inhabiting, you know, this country way before other folks came on, you know, on, on their boats over, I'm talking about Europeans, you know, and to get here and to say, you know, to take it. And then, you know, years upon years later to say, okay, well, we'll give it, we'll give some of it back or we'll consider giving and summon it back. It's just a, a, a very, um, uh, it, it, based in evil, in, in my opinion, mm -hmm. to, to, to have take something that belonged to somebody and then put, you know, um, uh, I don't know, put, um, 
uh, sanctions, if yeah. you will, on how you're going to give it back. Yeah, but I'm so encouraged. I'm encouraged by how this issue of reparations, which used to be a fringe issue, mm -hmm. has now become a mainstream issue. And you have a number of cities from across the country, um, basically state and local officials, that are taking this seriously. And they develop task force, and they're, you know, they're taking out their calculator and figuring out, mm -hmm. you know, what does it, what does it look like? What does it mean to repair the harm that's been done? And so the fact that the city of Palm, Scr Palm Springs is issued an apology, that's a great step. Mm. But right now, mm. folks are saying, uh, you owe us about $2 billion yeah. and, and, and we need you to run us our exactly. check. Exactly, so, run that money. And so, you know, we'll continue to keep an eye on this in, in so many cities across the country that are um, moving swiftly, mm -hmm. you know, on uh, addressing reparations uh, with the money. Mm -hmm. Reparations with moolah. Mm -hmm. Not just IOUs and apologies, moolah. All right, moving on here. There's a new study published by the American Medical Association that found that places with a higher presence of black doctors are linked to a longer life expectancy for black residents in the area. The study found that black people who resided in counties with more black physicians had lower mortality from all causes and lower disparities in mortality rates compared to their white counterparts, and that the life expectancy in such areas increased by nearly one month for every 10% increase in black primary care physicians. You know, I appreciate these studies, but it's like, duh. It's a water <laughs> you know, is wet it's, moment. It's a water is wet moment, but maybe the purpose of these studies is for folks outside of our culture to statistically see. Maybe mm -hmm. they need to just see it on paper because they don't live it every day. They're not a part of the culture, and so they don't deal with the day-to-day -day challenges uh, and issues that we face. So maybe when these folks do these studies and put it on, you know, it, and, and spell it out black and white, then, then other folks who can go, oh, okay, well, you know, let's pay attention or let's, let's help out or let's create some resources or a program. So I'm, uh, because that's the only way I can just like reason these studies that tell us what, we've, what, we've, yeah. what we already know no, tell us what we're living on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, there are a lot of people out there that dismiss, you know, the qualitative as just, you know, purely anecdotal. And mm -hmm. so whenever there's any opportunity to put some numbers behind it, I guess. Um, you know, for, for a lot of people, that's what really makes a difference. That's mm -hmm. what spurs uh, some action. Um, and it's important to note that I think this study was done pre-pandemic. And so imagine, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, how, what those numbers look like following the pandemic that exposed so many health inequities that exist in our communities. Um, we need more black teachers. We need more black doctors. And to your point earlier, we need more black appraisers too. Mm -hmm. According to the CDC, there's an increase in the number of black and Hispanic children being diagnosed with autism. The center estimated that among all U.S. eight-year-olds, one in 36 had autism in 2020. That's up from one in 44 back in 2021. But the rate rose faster for children of color than for white kids. Surprise, surprise. The new estimates suggest that about 3% of black, Hispanic, and Asian or Pacific Islander children have an autism diagnosis compared with about 2% of white kids. Experts attributed the change to improved screenings and autism services for all kids and increased awareness and advocacy for black and Hispanic families. You know, I wonder how in it, how 
if this is an environmental, you know, if environmental, you know, could be a factor mm -hmm. in some of these diagnoses. I, I clearly remember, and I'm 52, I, either the either we hadn't tapped into this yet or either the, the terminology, the wording wasn't there. But for me, autism is very new. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not to say that maybe it hadn't been around, maybe it was labeled a different kind of way, maybe it hadn't been discovered in this way just yet. But I'm wondering with the increases, especially in our culture, it, you know, is there something environmentally happening? Happening is I know a lot of parents talk about the food, you know, uh, you know, maybe having something to mm -hmm. do with you know a diagnosis. And so, you know, I'd be interested in into hearing that because for me it was, you know, I, I did not hear about autism until much, 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 mm -hmm. much later. So I'm wondering, you know what are some of these root causes or what, what have they identified as root causes significant to our culture? Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I'm just glad that the stigma has changed around yes. autism. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I have a cousin who I love and adore mm -hmm. um, uh, that was diagnosed with autism when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And so he was the first person that I knew that had autism. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it's become clearer to a lot of other people that autism is a spectrum, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. so, you know, not everyone who's autistic is exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And it's just a good thing that we have, we've learned so much about this mm -hmm. in our community and that, you know, folk, kids that are autistic, you know, are going on to college mm -hmm. and living everyday lives. And there was a time where, them, that, yes. where people didn't think that was possible. Indeed. All right. Coming up, a young girl goes from being bullied to being a best-selling author. That's right. We'll tell you all about her story and the purpose behind the book. When we return, you're watching Fox Souls Black Report. Sweet girl. Welcome back to Foxhole's Black Report. Well, a key piece of the civil rights movement mm. is heading to the Henry Ford Museum right here in Detroit. Yeah, lots of folks are excited about the Selma, Alabama home, famously known as the Jackson House. That's where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. planned several marches. It'll be in the uh, Henry Ford's Greenfield Village Museum, which documents movements throughout U.S. history. That's right. The house will be known as the Jackson Museum and show how civil rights activists strategized and planned, including key events like the Selma Movement and Voting Rights Act of 1965. So what's going to happen is they're going to actually dismantle this home piece mm -hmm. by piece, load it on a truck, drive it on up here to Detroit, 800 miles, put it back together, mm -hmm. and uh, you'll be able to, you know, be inside of history. And yeah. it's just a, a first of all, it's a fascinating process. Yeah. And then the fact that this home has been preserved as long as long as it has in great condition, mm -hmm. and will be even further, you know, preserved and curated here uh, at the uh, museum is just a wonderful look. Yeah. So what, what a great opportunity to take, you know, you know, sort of a historic artifact, mm -hmm. a living artifact, if you will, mm -hmm. in the South and share it with a completely different part of the country, bring it up here to Michigan. And little known fact, Martin Luther King was inside that home. Mm -hmm inside that home when President Johnson announced a bill that would become the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And so, you know, maybe they didn't have room in the National Archive in mm -hmm. D.C. And so mm -hmm. it's going to be at the Henry Ford Museum yeah. uh, instead. But uh, how lucky are we that we get to, uh, at some point, walk through that home again and mm -hmm. uh, get a sense of that history. Yeah, and then, you know, the connection to the I, uh, I Have a Dream speech. He, he practiced and, and honed it here in Detroit before he went on to D.C. to, to 
give that infamous uh, speech. And just before we close the story out, you know, that area, part of the country, uh, Selma in particular and surrounding areas are still suffering mm -hmm. from or tornado damage. If you want to tap in and see what is still needed, how you can still help soulmates uh, in that area, that would be greatly appreciated as well. That's right. All right, just days before the infamous 420 day, known as Weed Day, Ben and Jerry Ice Cream is uh, turning its attention to half-baked marijuana legalization. Now, the provocative ice cream brand is highlighting Michigan, where cannabis use is legal, but many are still serving time or have long-standing cannabis-related convictions. Across the nation, marijuana is legal and profitable, but those convicted and imprisoned for cannabis possession are often overlooked and continue to suffer from the long-term effects of the war on drugs. The Vermin ice cream maker is asking Governor Whitmer for clemency to draw attention to the issue. Governors can bestow or either reduce a sentence or free an incarcerated person. A new report from the Prison Policy Initiative, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization studying mass criminalization, has found that even though the number of incarcerated women fell significantly during the pandemic, the numbers are rising back to pre-COVID-19 levels. The report compiles statistics from different types of correctional and confinement facilities in the U.S., finding that incarcerated women are usually low income and often held in local jails rather than state prisons, meaning that they have access to fewer health care resources and less programming. The study found that uh, some 58% of incarcerated women are single moms, 50% have physical or cognitive disabilities, and 76% may have mental illness. The report also said that unemployment was a major, a major factor in women's interactions with the criminal legal system. Joining us now to discuss the causes, the effects, and how organization uh, here organization is bridging the gap on helping incarcerated women back into society is Lynette Cookie Williams, founder of Women Unsilenced. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Hello, thank you so much for having me. And thank you more importantly for shedding light on this, on this, uh, on this work. Absolutely. This work thank is you. very important. It is, very, it's very important. It's very important to all of us because these women are a part of our families. They're mm. part of our communities. You know, the statistics really speak volumes, especially the 76% of women incarcerated that may have mental illness. Can you talk to us about yes. how your organization is addressing issues like, like mental illness? Thank you so much for that question. And yes, the stats are alarming. Um, you know, it's, it's the reality is that over the past three decades, the uh, we've experienced mass incarceration at a rate of 750% of women, that over men. And in the past two decades, 475%, you know, and it just keeps rising. And of course the pandemic was a moment in time, but now we have gone back to those numbers, mm. which is even more. And I, you know, it's, it's, it's what, what, you know, just in talking to the women, we see how it's so necessary to develop a growth mindset, especially in our, in our women across the globe and our black and brown communities, particularly. Yeah, and, and we just, we see and we, we feel your passion uh, for this particular, you know, movement. The study also uh, unfortunately found that 58% of incarcerated women are single moms. Um, this must impact and really just devastate uh, family and, and, and family members, in particular children, yes? 
Yes, it most certainly does. Yeah. I mean, if you have single mom homes, then when you take that mother away, where are the children? So the mm -hmm. question therein lies, what happens to our children? Is anybody paying attention to that? And, you know, I mean, can you, can you, so can you connect the dots? I mean, you talk about our children, and sometimes we forget that children are also a part of the, the homeless population, the unhoused mm -hmm. population. Mm. Connect the dots for us. You're also working with the unhoused. Talk to us about, you know, that sort of pipeline of trauma, uh, you know, from inside the prison walls, you know, back into our communities. There's so many folks that are, are working to disrupt, uh, you know, that, uh, that recidivism track. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you all are doing to disrupt that. And, you know, and, and, and I happen to live, I live in New York City, and we are second in the nation with the highest population of, home, of those without homes today. And just four months ago, we were the first in the nation with the highest population. And that has everything to do with the, uh, you know, let me just go here and say that, you know, when I was away, it was, outside of God, what sustained me and what kept me moving forward was the skills that I had in, as being an entrepreneur. You know, that resilience, the self-preservation, perseverance, and just that determination to keep going forward. Those skills are what cultivates a growth mindset. And it's that's, that which is required and what's necessary. We need a global shift in cognitive thinking in our black and brown communities across the board. And mothers coming home from incarceration after being gone for, for, for even, even gone just for a day or two, mm -hmm. not to mention 10 years, mm -hmm. life changes. You know, there's no jobs. She has no job now. Now she's a felon. And now how is she gonna provide for her child? Does she go back and fall into the trap of mass incarceration? And then of course that leads to homelessness. And in New York City, we don't even have a right to, there is no right to housing in New York City. So is why I keep going back to the entrepreneurial mindset that cultivates the growth of, we, it just needs to be a cognitive shift in the way we think. Gone are the jobs of, you know, get a job. We can get a job. But the jobs, it's how do you go about getting a job today? We're facing AI taking over those get a job spaces. Yeah, you so talked. So, what do we do? You talked a, a lot about the different types of traumas, and and we go about defining trauma in so many different ways. You just touched on a job. Let's, let's talk a little bit more in detail about finances and the role it plays when discussing uh, black women and trauma. In particular, you were alluding to, you know, once released, getting back on their feet, being able to support their family, especially if it's a if it's a single, uh, you know, mom household. Right. It's, you know, the lack of knowledge and skill and what's required today after being gone for an extended period of time. And not only that, but once you lose a job, you have to now re-enter the job market. Right, right. And so you have to now, you know, what whatever skill you had and honed in on to hold that job for 20 years, now you have to, now you have to start all over again in a whole space that you're not even familiar with. There's mm -hmm. technology, mm -hmm. there's AI, there's, you you've aged being in the system so now now what do you do it's it's time to you know shift the thinking yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well so, so tell us 
How can we learn more about Women Unsilenced? Where can people go to support the work that you're leading and the movement that you're a part of? Woman Unsilenced, we are Woman Unsilenced, W-O-M-A-N, unsilenced, dot, dot, dot org. So we're, you can find us at um, womanunsilenced.org. You can send us an email at sister at womanunsilenced.org. You can find us on IM, IG, also on Facebook. So we have a presence out there. We, we're with the technology uh, of today, and we want to keep our women current so that they can share that with their children and maybe start developing, you know, bridging that gap mm. between the generations. Mm. And we're just coming off March. We're just coming off Women's History Month and you are an extension of the good trouble and the amazing work uh, that women across this country are doing. And we thank you so much for joining us today. We wanna uh, baptize you as an official soulmate and definitely have you back to discuss this, this movement uh, in, in much more detail. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Keep up the work. Look, Keep up the good work. I look forward to coming back. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Let's head over the pond where nine-year-old Tiana Ako Array from London, England has become a best-selling author. Tiana turned her experience of being bullied for her natural hair into a successful book called My Afro twin best friends. The story explores friendship, self-acceptance, and identity. Tiana's book has landed on Amazon's bestseller list and earned her an appearance on Good Morning America. Mm. Tiana shared that she is proud of herself and her book is being well-received worldwide. She also stated that bullying is never about the victim, but about the bully's dissatisfaction with seeing someone different. Wow, there's an independent artist by the name of Donnie, D-O-N-N-Y, and he has a song that talks about we live from the head down and not the feet up. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how he is so proud to have been chosen to wear the natural crown. And he's talking about his afro. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes he'll wear it, you know, crazy, and sometimes he'll twist it up, but however he chooses to wear it is very powerful and how it goes about governing his life. And so for this very young, sweet baby to be able to tap into that power and, and turn that thing around like that um, is is a wonderful example for us all. Yeah, and what an, incre what, what an incredible leader in the making. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, think about the impact that she's gonna have mm -hmm. on so many other little black girls That's right. across the world, mm -hmm. around the world, right? Um, and then let's not talk about how that folks are trying to, you know, erase our history and, right. and take the, these type of readings and these type of stories, whether they be fable or, you know, something a little bit more factual. Uh, the fact that we are, we have been talking about right here on Fox Souls Black Report more and more mm -hmm. of these writers, whether they be, you know, young age like this, this baby here, or or up in age, you know, you know, you, you always set off an opposite reaction. Mm -hmm. And as as the Sanders in Florida and his crew is trying to do what they're trying to do, and many other states are trying to do what they're trying to do and politicians more and more black writers that's right. are, are coming about for us to choose from and support and it, get our stories and our narratives out there. That's, a, that's the positive I see. It's the powerful demonstration of resistance. Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of a powerful uh, demonstration, the Sean Carter Scholarship Fund founded by rapper turned business mogul Jay-Z and his philanthropist mom Gloria is now celebrating 20 years of giving. The fund has been helping low-income students achieve their dreams of higher education since 2003. It has 
has awarded scholarships to over 200 students across America each year with award amounts up to $7,500. Gloria Carter, Mama Carter, believes that education is the key to unlocking opportunities for students to succeed. The deadline for this year's scholarship is approaching and the fund is urging eligible students to apply through their website. Uh, it's Jay-Z Scholarship. Dot com. Great work on, on, on their behalf. And it's, it's great to see them just continuing to do their part, do mm -hmm. their part in, in so many different ways, shapes, and form. Mm -hmm. You know, Jay-Z and his mother mm -hmm. have been giving back mm -hmm. uh, to the community. Uh, that whole family just sort of gives and gives and gives. Um, and it's part of the reason why, you know, they are, you know, hip-hop royalty, mm -hmm. where they are pop icons, right, uh, for a lot of the right reasons. Yeah, and I would encourage soulmates, you know, we, we celebrate you know these artists and, and you know, like Jay-Z and Beyonce but the backstory where mm -hmm. they come from the people who brought them into this into this world into this dimension have some interesting stories as well we hear a lot about Miss Tina uh, you know and her story uh, but tap into Jay-Z's mom's story Miss Gloria mm -hmm. it is it is layered it is complex so it's the story before the story and and it is fascinating I'm waiting for a movie uh, or more of a documentary to, to get more of the insight on her testimony, her story, even before Jay-Z came about. It's fascinating. So to see both of them kind of like matriculate through life and, and get to this point is inspiring. It is. It really is. Very much so. Well, still ahead, there's more backlash for The Boxer. We're talking about Jonathan Major from Creed 3. Mm, what's next for the actor now that his management has dropped him as a client? Are you kidding me? Come on back. We'll give you all of the story when Fox Soul's Black Report returns. Welcome back to Foxhole's Black Report. Well, it's a major win for the estate mm -hmm. of Nipsey Hussle as the family has dodged a $5 million lawsuit. The suit was filed by a Los Angeles uh, singer-songwriter who says they co-wrote one on one of the late rapper's hits. Now the song is in question is Hustle and Motivate off of one of Nipsey's, Nipsey's uh, uh, latest projects. However, a judge dismissed her case after she failed to respond to the order to show cause. That's right, the singer by the name of Teslima Yassin acted as her own legal counsel oh, wow. and could not uh, pr provide enough evidence to convince the court that the trial should proceed. And more troubles for actor Jonathan Majors following his domestic violence charges as his talent manager has now dropped him. Variety magazine is reporting that Entertainment 360 parted ways with the actor. They also said public relations manager The Lead Company removed him as a client last month. You might remember on March 25th, police in New York arrested Majors after a woman accused him of assaulting her. Major's legal team denied the claims and said their client would be exonerated when the facts come out. Well, them facts need to come on and come out. Yeah, I mean, I think this is just really unfortunate that yeah. uh, Jonathan Majors he is not being afforded fashion, right? due process, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, uh, these are all allegations. At this right? point, yeah. And, and, and nothing has been, um, he has not been, you know, uh, declared guilty on mm -hmm. any uh, charge. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to see, you know, who in Hollywood gets 
their due process and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. You know, and you know, I, I wish that in the court of public opinion, we could let up and allow the facts to, to play out, um, as opposed to potentially, you know, derailing, you know, this guy's career, you know, based on allegations. Yeah, and, and people say, you always, you know, play the race card. Well, but it, it, it is sort of kind of the race card, if not the race card. Let's call a spade a spade. If this was DiCaprio or one of those type of guys who, you know, had been, you know, charged with something like this or accused of something like this, would his people be so quick, you know, as, as celebrated, as on point, and as, you know, this new and amazing emergent artist as everybody he was just celebrating him and then he has a something like this happen you know would 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 somebody else's uh, people be so quick to, to pull out from 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 under him uh, before there is any kind of you know charges or a conviction or even a sentencing so you know I, I sometimes you know you you can't help but play the race car because that's what's always in question and when we don't allow the facts to come out cancel culture can be really really dangerous yeah there's uh, some major changes coming to Live Nation as the company has added a new face to their board of directors. Live Nation announced this week that Rich Paul will now serve on their board. Paul is the founder and CEO of Clutch Sports Group, which represents LeBron James, among others. Paul is also the head of sports at United Talent Agency, where he also sits on the board. Man, listen, when you when you when you stay connected and close to your homies, you know, and you stay plugged into to greatness, you know, you you get what comes along with all of those accolades and, and that elevation. And we at this point, Chris Paul has definitely carved out, you know, his own lane and his own niche. But it all started, you know, with those humble beginnings and homeboys saying, we're going to stick together no matter what. Mm -hmm. They were so, uh, you know, unconventional, uh, a lot of criticism. But because they came into this the, this industry, starting with sports and just blew it out the water, people, they couldn't be denied. Be so good. I think it was Steve Martin. Be so good that they can't yeah. deny you. Um, man, take notes, people, because that's how you do it. And speaking of taking notes, you know, he's serving on the board, right, yeah. of Live Nation, which is is a whole nother level of flex. A whole nother right? level. Right, it's one thing to, to be the head of an organization. It's another thing to be a part of the board that the head of the organization reports to. Mm -hmm. We need more black folks serving mm -hmm. on public and private boards, foundation boards, um, especially if we're serious about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. You know, we gotta be decision makers, you know, and not just consulted, you know, on things. And so I think on that level, it's uh, really awesome to see this. It absolutely is. All right. So so you can take Lil' Kim off the list of black celebrities who don't pay their taxes. The legendary rapper has settled her $1.4 million tax debt with the IRS. Now, according to reports, the IRS service uh, has released several liens against Lil' Kim, whose real name is Kimberly Denise Jones uh, and her property. Now these tax, debt, uh, tax debts have added up over the years, with the first being in 2003 when the IRS says she owed $232,000, then $58,000 back in 05, with the latest amount being $300,000 in 08, but the most recent being $126,000 in 2013. So it looks like they were able to come to an agreement to where she just paid out one little hefty, well, not little, but a hefty fine. Because yeah. um, if you're paying, you know, the the, the IRS 1.4 million and that's a settlement 
more than likely you owed a whole lot much, more. Much more. A whole lot more. And yeah, it's also a reminder. Obviously. It's a reminder to our soulmates that today is tax day. Mm -hmm. Taxes are due today. It's mm -hmm. April 18th. They gave and a so, little extension. Right. If mm -hmm. you if you need that extension, you know, make sure you file for that. You know, but uh, you know, this is the day to make sure that uh, your story doesn't end yeah, up like but little I, Kim's but story. But I've always heard that it's if it's if you don't owe. You know, if you owe, you need to go ahead and get that thing in today or file for an extension. But but check with your tax people. I've always heard that if you don't owe, you know, you, you want to get your taxes done. But uh, uh. <laughs> if you don't owe, <laughs> but I don't know. check with your people. This is just, you know, culture talk, uh, because, you know, if you don't owe and they owe you, why would they care whether you get them in on time or not if right. they if they got to send you the money? But uh, yeah, good for little Kim clearing that up. Because yeah. a lot of celebrities have gone down by way of those by way of those taxes. It can be tricky. Not they, found their way back. They can be tricky. Well, yeah. Big Frida performed at Netflix Queen Charlotte Spring Waltz to honor HBCU students. What an event here! Netflix partnered with Xavier University in Louisiana, uh, Big and Big Frida for the upcoming Shalanda series, uh, Shondaland rather series which is a spinoff from the hit series uh, Brickerton. The celebration was a love letter to the royal culture, the kids, the children at HBCUs. <laughs> the evening included performances from the all-female original uh, Pinette's Brass Band, as well as from the Xavier's Gold Star Dance Team, the Golden Starlets, along with uh, the Homecoming Court. That's, nice. right. That's right. Queen Charlotte, a Bridgerton story, is centered on Queen Charlotte's rise to prominence and and power and tells the story of how the young queen's marriage to King George sparked both a great love story and a societal shift for the characters in Bridgerton. The series launches on May 4th on Netflix and I will be watching. Up next, it's our favorite black excellence. That's right. The historical deal that Jalen Hurts has secured and the all-female staff that made it happen. You're watching Foxhole's Black Report. We'll be right back. I want to welcome you back to Fox Souls Black Report. Yeah, most of y'all don't know that my tribal last name is Hurt. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, it's Courtney Hurts Hicks Lanier. Okay. All right. NFL QB Jalen Hurts reaches historic and historic deal with the Philadelphia Eagles. The deal reportedly includes almost $180 million in the quarter line. That's guaranteed. Ooh-wee. The deal extends the star athlete with the team for five more years for $255 million. What? Good Lord, that's a lot of money. Making him the highest paid player in the league's history, superstar agent Nicole Lynn negotiated the deal, which is also significant for her as a black female sports agent. That's right. Hertz had a standout season in 2022 and 23, improving his stats, leading his team to a number one playoff seed and, of course, the Super Bowl and becoming a finalist for the league's MVP award. That's right. Lynn landed the opportunity to represent Hertz by messaging him on social yep. media got it in DMs and has been making history ever since now that's the way you get in that something that's and he how responded. you do it. they met and he was like yeah you the one and history has been made she was just up to uh, the president she's running 
uh, that agency making all kinds of deals here and there as the NFL gears up for uh, draft season. She's already representing some top uh, draftees uh, expected to go very high in the draft and they are just rocking out and they're, they're millennials in the prime. She's only 34. Hertz is a young guy as mm -hmm. well and it's just so good to see this generation rock out. And what a great example Gosh. of seeing, you know, more women not just on the field or mm -hmm. on the court, you know, mm -hmm. but seeing, you know, more women behind the scenes, mm -hmm. you know, um, as a part of the sports management apparatus. And yeah. so, you know, I, I think there's a lot of young women that are going to watch this and feel inspired that That's if right. at 34 years old, mm -hmm. she can get in those DMs and yeah. make this happen. Yeah. Imagine what they can do. And he just has his head on right, it appears, you know, just looking from the, from the outside in. And like I said, I probably need to hit his DM just to let him know that we come from the same Hurt tri Hurts <laughs> tribe and, you know, spread the spread the love, brother. Right. That is amazing. I'm excited for him. That looks Congratulations look. to yeah. him. Uh, for the full run on today's stories like uh, that one and more, you can access Fox Souls video on demand on any of our partners. You can even access past shows and other Black-centered content. And don't forget to download the Fox Soul app. It is free, Soulmates. You can catch up and stay with us off 24-7. I'm Courtney Hicks. Thanks so much for joining us today. And I'm Nick Cordelide Corte. On behalf of the entire team here at Fox Soul's Black Report, stay lifted. And stay safe. We'll see you soon.